Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include but are not limited to professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Your discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ therefore forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. All right, Tim, the question for today's video is, should Christians fight in a civil war? Yeah, I mean, I guess if there's a civil war started, you might as well join. <laughs> you just got to pick which side you're going to fight for, right? <laughs> I mean, it's either that or just, uh, you know, watch it happen. But I mean, I suppose you should probably join, figure out who you're going to support and go for it. So a lot of people, uh, I, I think there are a lot of people out there who would, who have the idea that uh, number one, you know, I, I guess an underlying question, um, you know, with this kind of topic is should Christians fight at all in any war whatsoever? I mean, it, uh, they should unless you're John Piper. Unless you're John Piper, then it's like, let them do yeah, whatever just let they them want take to advantage you of your, your wife, whatever. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's for some people, there's probably the question of should Christians fight? in a war at all and then you know on top of that should you fight in a war that you know could be perceived as like a um overthrowing of your government depending on your point right right so yeah part of it's definitely the pacifism kind of discussion um so what does the bible teach about pacifism in general and certainly i mean as you read the scriptures one of the things you're going to find is that you know christians they have the right of self-defense um you know, the Bible does say, thou shalt not murder. And, you know, even at certain points in Jesus's ministry, he instructs his disciples to go buy swords in order to presumably uh, defend themselves with those swords. He wants them to strap up, man. Right, right. So, you, you know, Christians have always, I mean, most Christians have always, <laughs> except for like the Amish or John Piper or something like that. But, but I mean, most Christians have always recognized the right of the individual Christian to have, um, to defend themselves from, threats of violence violence in that way and i mean even the role of a husband in particular is just to be a protector or a provider yeah i mean it's hard to you know i mean it really if you're going to go down the road of um pacifism you really have to do some very strange things with the entire old testament <laughs> so i mean you basically have to think that the sermon on the mount has come where to put Jesus in a position to basically repudiate the entirety of 
the Old Testament almost, because, I mean, the Old Testament is filled with the Israelites defending themselves. I mean, you have even stories in the Bible of, you know, the Jews, uh, I mean, like Esther, you know, petitioning for the Jews to have the ability to protect themselves and being given that, and that was an answer to prayer and everything else. So it's very hard to make a case that Christians don't have the right to self-defense unless you just have some kind of Marcionite view of the Old Testament where the Old Testament God was the mad God and Jesus was the nice God who just came along and told everyone to chill out or something. But, um, you know, a lot, a lot of that is a misunderstanding of what's happening in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, if you know, don't resist the evil person. If they strike you on the left cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And, you know, essentially all that's happening in that verse is Jesus is telling them not to, you know, fight back against affronts to their dignity. Like if someone is going to strike you on the, on your right cheek, most people are right-handed. So the way you do that is you backhand someone essentially. So all Jesus is doing is telling them it, that if someone is going to try to embarrass you, you let them, let them embarrass you. You don't have to, you know, get defensive in that kind of situation. But that isn't really the same thing as saying if someone wants to stab you on your right cheek, turn to them. <laughs> Let them stab the other cheek too. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's just a totally different kind of thing, you know. um, And and we used to know this. I mean, you know, growing up, there's times when the bully would want to embarrass, you know, people, and they understood that they were not in a life or death, you know, situation in those kind of encounters. Now, I mean, you watch some of the videos of you know school bullies today, and um, you know they're not just you know smacking someone on the right cheek in order to try to humiliate them in front of people. They're curve stomping them and trying to yeah. you know, basically kill them or something like that. Uh, so we're in a different situation there, but you know it's it's very hard to argue for pacifism in the Bible for sure. I mean, I mean, is there any argument coming from you know so David, for example, um, he is told by God that. Uh, he won't build the temple of uh, uh he won't build the temple because he was a man of bloodshed essentially um so is there anything you know is there anything to that i mean i know obviously there's tons of, i mean like you know pretty much everyone i can think of in the bible he, like either led an army at some point or they led you know a small group of men to go and recapture their families or something you know something like that um yeah a lot i can think of a lot of examples like that but then there are some examples too that seem to um and i I wouldn't use the word condemn because i don't really know that they're condemning it but then some people might view something like david being told by god that he won't build the temple it'll be his son that does it um because he he way because he waged so many wars um, they might view that as like a, see, you know, here's a proof text saying that God doesn't like, uh, his people to fight in wars like this. So is there any, is there any legitimacy to that? Or is that just like a total mishandling or misunderstanding of, of what God is trying to communicate through, um, you know, through those like, um, accounts? Yeah. I mean, I think in, in those kind of situations, I mean, David also says that God makes his, um, arms you know, strong enough to bend a bow of bronze in that way. So David praises God for giving them him the ability to defend Israel and to, you know, drive away their enemies and everything else. So I think what you have is you have something similar um, to what happens with Jesus, with Peter in the 
Peter uh, scenario where Jesus says, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Meaning, like, um, you know, in that way, Jesus had already told them to go buy swords to protect themselves presumably from robbers on the highway and everything else. So you already have a situation where Jesus is instructing them to do that, but that just wasn't the right moment for it. And you don't want to be just a person who can't read the situation that you're in in that way. So, I mean, certainly, like, there's a difference between being a warmonger and being just a person who is, you know, ready to take up his plow in <laughs> in the uh, case of self-defense or something like that. Like, meaning, all right, they're coming for us. We're going to have to stop them. So there's certainly right. two different situations. But I don't even think that so much as the situation with David, as much as, much as he wanted, God wanted his house to be a house of peace. And Solomon's reign was characterized by God giving them rest from all their enemies, and it was a reign filled with peace, and that's what he wanted his kingdom to be known by in that way. Whereas David, you know, he was he had a different kind of reputation. I don't think it was necessarily even a re- negative on him that he had that recu- uh, reputation. It was just a feature of his reign uh, in that, you know, they're constantly being attacked by the Philistines and everything else. So I think in that way... Um, if David was going to build the house, then I think it would send different signals than God was wanting to send at that point. And so I think it's just more about that. Uh, but whatever it was, I mean, it's not a repudiation against David. I mean, David killed Goliath by the strength and power of God in that way, and he trusted him to do what he promised to do in the Old Testament. So that's obviously a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a very difficult, very difficult case to make if— um, Christians aren't even allowed to defend themselves. But then that's part of what's happening in the civil war discussion in general is that, you know, it is a discussion not about um, warmongering in general. It's just the, I mean, when you think about even the civil war that happened within our nation, um, there's a lot of things that people, um, they, they don't think about as they're thinking about that kind of topic. Like meaning, I mean, like the South was certainly within its prerogatives to, succeed from the union and basically say hey enough is enough we you know we, we, we want to be done with this we want to peacefully uh, remove ourselves from this and you know when they when um, um abraham lincoln essentially and the north um, when they refused to allow them to secede from the union like they were the ones in the wrong in that kind of encounter if that makes sense so that's not to say that you know I mean, I'm just, what do you what do you mean they were in the wrong? What what made them like be in the wrong there? Well, I mean, it, I mean, it's a similar situation to like if my uh, if my wife wanted to say to me, "Hey, I'm done with our marriage" or something like that, and I want to peacefully leave this uh, union, and I don't want anything more to do with it in that way. Now, I mean, she wouldn't be right by God for doing that per se, but. It, meaning, like, like, so this is where the analogy breaks down. In, in that kind of situation, she, she wouldn't have the moral high ground. But if I just decided to, you know, take a chain around her neck and, or you know, <laughs> put her in shackles and you know, trap her in my dungeon or something like that, that would be the moral equivalent of what the North did in that way. Does that make sense? So, meaning, like, if you're a, free, you know, you, you had a voluntary union that was established <laughs> in the United States. So you have states who are coming together who are voluntarily deciding that we want to be a part of a greater country and you know it wasn't meant to be like a top-down system it was meant to be like um like meaning like the way that 
the entire way that we even think about the government at this point is we think about it as like the federal government's in charge of the states. But the way the system was actually set up, the states were like the federal government wasn't in charge of the states in that kind of way. Um, the federal government was given certain rights by the states and then everything else was retained by the states. So the states had the ability to just to say, hey, we don't want anything to do with this anymore and we, we're going to go. Um, but then what happened at that point is that you know, the North is essentially saying, hey, no, we're not going to let you go. So they're, they're the ones who were basically overstepping what their authority actually was and changing just the nature of the government project at that point. So meaning like, you know, if we were in a situation where, you know, a group of states wanted to say, hey, we're voluntarily, peacefully leaving the Union, uh, the United States, there's nothing in our, you know, there's nothing to say that we shouldn't be able to do that. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just to say, hey, we don't wish to be ruled in this way anymore. Like, uh, we don't want to be joined with you. I mean, there should be a peaceful way to go your own separate way. And if you're, if, if, if there's no peaceful way to go your own separate way, then that's a problem. So now that's not to say that the South's cause was entirely righteous or something like that. I'm not even saying that. And there's a certain kind of unstable person who's going to hear me saying that when I'm not even commenting on all of that or I'm not even trying to sort all that out. I'm just trying to say that conceptually they should have been able to say, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. And the North should have let them. Does that make sense? And then if the North is going to force them at gunpoints to say, Hey, we're in a relationship. It's like, I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. It's like, well, you, you we are, you know, it's a one nation, uh, you know, under God, indivisible and all that, right. With Liberty and justice, whether you like it or not, <laughs> <laughs> whether you like it or not. I mean, and that's essentially what happened, you know? So then in that kind of situation, then you have them taking up arms to say, you know, you're, we're together. You're stuck with us. It's like, well, we don't want to be stuck with you. <laughs> and they should have been able to voluntarily say no. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in that kind of arrangement, it, it's, um, you know, it is a, now, now if, if you're, if you're going to say, Hey, like you can make a debate over whether or not it was good for them to leave. They had the moral high ground and leaving, but the North didn't have the, the legal authority at that point to force them to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were to go, like here's the thing, if like a group of States were to get together and say, Hey, enough is enough. We're tired of you sacrificing babies. Like we're tired of, um, you know, the alphabet stuff that's going on and we're tired of the child transitioning, you know, quote unquote gender stuff. Like we're just, we're done with it. We don't want anything to do with this anymore. Then in that kind of case, we, you know, those states would certainly have the moral high ground to do that kind of thing. And, you know, suppose if you suppose that they did and, you know, the other states were to say, hey, you know, we're not going to let you go. That would be that would be a problem, you know. So, yeah. So but there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have a group of people who basically want to legally emancipate themselves from the reign of another group of people in that way some people i think there are a lot of christians out there um who might view something like that as an inherent overthrowing of the government do you agree with that i mean there are different um arrangements there there have been different arrangements throughout history where god has ordained certain you know governing authorities to function in certain ways i think what's happening in our government is that there like the highest human authority in our government is actually the constitution. Okay. 
So the highest human authority right. is our constitution. And um, what happened, like what, what Lincoln and them did in the civil war is that that was essentially a lawless act that they did where they were forcing them to stay against their will. So they were the ones who were overturning the highest human authority in that way, which is the constitution. So if you're, if you're going to say, Hey, you need to submit to the governing authorities and what you need to do is you need to actually understand what the governing authorities are. And then in our kind of government, the highest human authority is the constitution. Like we're all bound to that. And then even within the constitution, I mean, you, you basically have um, instructions given to the people that if the you know the federal government over states it oversteps its authority, we're duty bound to resist them as uh, tyrants in that way because they're the ones who are being lawless. And so the situation, I mean, it is comparable to like I mean, we live in Alabama right now, and I mean it is comparable to, and I think Douglas Wilson uses this kind of analogy, but you know if um, the state of Kentucky sent you a tax bill, so to speak, and like a a state income tax bill and you, and you what you would need to do is just send it back and say no i'm not gonna honor this because i'm not living in the state <laughs> you don't have any authority or jurisdiction over me in that kind of way and so meaning like you you know as you're thinking about the kind of government that we actually have we, we're supposed to be like a government uh, by the people right and it's supposed it's not supposed to be a top-down kind of government it's supposed to be states are delegating specific powers to the federal government. Now, the the issue is that the federal government is acting more like a monarch in this way when they shouldn't be. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So they're acting like in a lawless way, and then, you know, we actually have responsibilities per the Constitution to resist them. Um, you know, and if we were to take those up, we you know, those would be, like if individuals were to take those up, they, they would be and have the moral high ground in that way. So, so, so I understand that the constitution gives us room to do that kind of thing. Um, but does the Bible give us the same sort of, um, you know, does the Bible leave enough room for us to morally, you know, or be able to, you know, say with a clear conscience, Hey, I'm opposing my government because they're behaving in a tyrannical way. Yeah. So, I mean, the issue there is, just to say you have to you have to define what the arrangement is does that make sense yeah you got a dtr you have to have it yeah so like so the issue is like you know just to give another comparable situation if i were to be walking down the street and some homeless man came up to me and <laughs> said you know i demand that you take a knee and bow to me or whatever because i'm your king or whatever and I'm going to need you to give me your car keys uh, as your king because I have need of them at this moment, right? Is he the Nigerian prince <laughs> that I've been hearing so much about? <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. I mean, now if he were to say that, then the, you know, it was, let's imagine that you were to say no, right? No, that's not going to be the way this goes down. And he says, well, the Bible says submit to your governing authorities, right? And as your king, I'm exercising. <laughs> I'm exercising, you know, kingly authority over your property at this point. Well, the issue is it's illegitimate what he's doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like he's not actually supposed to, like, God doesn't recognize him as your king. You're not under any, like, he's not actually your king. He's just pretending like he is. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he's play acting. He's LARPing. He's role playing as that. And so if you're in a situation where legally 
the arrangement is that the Constitution is the highest human authority. The Constitution, you know, delineates certain responsibilities to you. And then you have tyrants who come along and basically say, who are trying to usurp their authority in that way. Well, then faithfulness to your government means like taking up arms to defend your government from tyrants. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like in that arrangement, like the issue is who is the legitimate authority um, you know, and, and maybe it's like, um, you know, a Robin Hood kind of scenario where um, I can't even remember who the king was at that time. I guess King Richard, the Lionheart, and uh, who was the usurper or whatever. King Richard was gone. Then his, you know, brother. I don't went, know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not well versed yeah. in my uh, Robin Hood lore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's in that scenario where when the king comes back, you know, um, you know, or even all right, if you want to go to Lord of the Rings, right? where Boromir is acting as a steward and yeah but then Aragorn is the real king in that way if if uh you know Boromir is asking you to do certain things and you know Aragorn comes back and says hey no that's not the way it's going to go you're in a real dilemma right (laughs) you're in a real dilemma because you know Boromir is play acting as the I mean he's been the steward for a while but he's not the rightful king so when the rightful king comes you need to listen to him in that way so it's the same thing, like, you know, the constitution, we're under the constitution, so we should follow that um, So okay. as the rightful authority. So whatever it says supersedes, you know, what the tyrants are saying at that point. Okay. So my last question, it, and, you know, I don't know what this will do for you, but uh, sort of flipping things around a little bit, if that's the case, if that's what, you know, our specific constitution says, um, does that mean that we as Christians are, uh, at, at this point in history at least, we are not submitted? <laughs> this is a little confusing, I think, in my mind, but you know, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know what you think about this, Tim, but personally, I think our own government is has far surpassed whatever the founding fathers probably had in mind, uh, when they were, you know, when they were, uh, writing the. Um, or, you know, when they're, when, when they were rebelling themselves against England, um, when they were founding our country, when they were writing the constitution, personally, I think our government has far surpassed whatever they were thinking about, uh, when they were, you know, writing these, um, these laws about, you know, uh, uh, or at least maybe not, maybe law isn't the right word, but at least there's responsibilities to stand against and oppose a tyrannical government. Um, so does that mean as Christians, because we haven't yet rebelled against uh, our current federal government, that uh, we are not obeying and submitting to our worldly authorities? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I mean, I think I think so in one sense, but then not in another sense. Meaning, um, you know, part of the features of a just war is to have you, you do need to have like a legitimate, rightful authority that is governing the whole project in that way. Uh, meaning, like you know, the Bible doesn't commend vigilante justice, and what sure. happened during the American Revolution wasn't just like a couple of you know guys deciding, hey, they just want to start a rebellion against their rightful authorities. What was actually happening is that. England was making a power grab and like meaning like, um, you know, by their own laws, they're not allowed to tax without representation in that way. So, 
you know, they're levying taxes on the colonies, but then the colonies have no representative uh, representation within the government structure. So, I mean, they're violating their own rules. And so it was, you know, they were under an arrangement similar to the one I described, like the Kentucky sending you a tax bill saying, Hey, we, you belong to us. It's like, well, no, we don't. We can't move here to be free. You know, that's not the way it works. Right. <laughs> so, um, like we don't even have representation in this government. We have no input in that. That's not the way that your system works. So like, no, you know, no, thanks. Take your tax bill and, you know, figure out what to do with it kind of thing. So in that way, um, you know, what happened though, is you had the representatives of the colonies like coming together and, you know, it wasn't just like a rogue thing. Like you had them, you know, signing a legal, you know, declaration of independence from you that they're expecting them to recognize. And so in that way, I mean, like we're in a situation where like, what we don't need is we don't need vigilantes who are going to come along and basically say, Hey, enough is enough. Let's start the fireworks or something like that. Uh, you need like, and like now if our States were to come along and say, Hey, um, our state has, uh, no interest in, you know, this union anymore is doing us more harm than good. And we would like to peacefully, um, leave this voluntary union that we have um as is our prerogative and our right and then a, you know a group of states were to get together and basically go you know do something very similar to that and that would be a move that would be made by a recognized authority it wouldn't just be a rogue action action in that way so you know it, i think that's one of the things that if the if the people had a will for that the rep and they would make that known at a certain point that could happen does that make sense yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think it, 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 there's been plenty of situations where states have looked at the federal government and said, hey, you, we're not going to recognize what you're doing. And no, you know. So, like, the problem is that, you know, federal, federal government sending the states so much money that there are conflicts of interest as it relates to money um, in that kind of way. But, but, I mean, when you, you know, there's states who basically ignored, have ignored the, you know, immigration kind of issues for years uh, who defy them because they feel like they're on the moral high ground and nothing happens with it, right? They did that with pot for years and everything else. So, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where it, it, states only have the, they only have the spine or background bone for the most part and stand up to the federal government when the cause is immoral instead of actually moral. And what you need <laughs> is states to come along and say, hey, let's stand up for the federal government in when we have the moral high ground, right? So that's what that, that's what needs to happen in that kind of arrangement. But I would say under that, I would say that yes, our our states don't have the moral will necessary to resist the evil that's happening at this point. And you know, it would probably be better in certain ways if it did. You know, but then I, I you don't hold your breath <laughs> in that way. But yeah. Okay, fair enough. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move. Mm-hmm.